Well, it's good to be back. It is very nice to uh, get six weeks every three years to, uh, to get to recharge, uh, to renew, uh, time to, uh, to spend with my family, time to travel, time to write. Um, but I will tell you that uh, you got to hear some great sermons while I was away. And I listened to them myself and thought, I could extend this another month and uh, they're doing just great. Um, you need to know that one of the greatest joys, and I mean this, uh, for me at this church is to lead the talented staff that we have. And I'm grateful for them and for their gifts and for their talents. Somebody sent an email this week that said, you know, you really have a deep bench when it comes to preaching. And I said, yes, we do. And, uh, and I'm thankful uh, for that. And I hope we never take that for granted. Uh, I traveled quite a bit uh, during the sabbatical, probably about half the time. Uh, time up in Sewanee. Uh, we went to the homestead in Virginia to celebrate Megan's parents' 50th wedding anniversary, which was uh, a lot of fun. We were there 10 years ago uh, for their 40th, and I renewed their vows, and Megan and I got engaged, so it was great to take three children back to the homestead and to reflect upon the, the 10 years that have gone by since. Uh, I went on a golf trip to the Highlands, North Carolina, one of my favorite places. I went out to Torrey Pines to do a wedding for one of our uh, members' daughters. And yes, I got to play golf out there. I actually played well for once. Um, I uh, uh, have I've been able to, to travel and to spend time away. And um, I'll tell you that in California, the day before the, the wedding that I did, uh, the, the groom's family is, is Indian. And so there was a, uh, an Indian ceremony on the Friday before, and if you've ever been to one of those, then you know that it's something. Uh, it's quite a treat. So Megan and I got to experience that, and uh, that was, that was uh, quite an experience. But I got lots of writing done. I'm working on a, a book, and uh, I got to pray and plan uh, for the next chapter of ministry here at Woodmont, which is going to be very exciting uh, with a lot going on. But I missed you all. And um, it's weird to not be here on Sunday mornings. And so it's good to be back. Um, getting away is good for the soul. It's good for renewal. It's good for um, taking care of yourself. But there are lots of exciting things that are going to be happening at the church this fall. Um, and you're going to hear more and more about them. We are going to uh, have a capital campaign this fall to build some additional children's classrooms for our kids to work towards building a, uh, a chapel, a multi-use chapel uh, on the south end of our building to uh, do some work to our mission and outreach building. And so a lot of information is going to be coming out in the coming weeks. And I just encourage you to learn about it, uh, go to some of the meetings, and, and we're going to be sharing with you what the vision and what the plans are. And that's going to be, uh, I'm not going to get into it this morning, but that's going to be coming up. And that is very, uh, very, very exciting. Today we start a new sermon series uh, that is going to be titled, Taking Jesus Seriously. And this is going to be a spiritual journey through one of the most famous and well-known passages of Scripture in the entire Bible known as the Sermon on the Mount that you'll find in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And, um, you know, I often recommend books to go with sermon series. If you want a book to study deeper, you know, some people are overachievers, and that's a good thing. Uh, there's a book by a Franciscan priest named Richard Rohr who wrote a book called Jesus' Plan for a New World, and it's on the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll have copies of that in the bookstore, and I would encourage you, if you want to read further, uh, to, to look at that. I've, I've spent time in that book in, in, recent, uh, in recent weeks. But I want you to think about something this morning. 
If we have made the decision to become Christians, that means that we have decided to follow Jesus. And if we have decided to follow Jesus, and it goes without saying that we need to be familiar with what Jesus said and taught and did, and then once we become familiar with it, then we should try to live our lives in the same way. We should try to become more like Jesus. That's what it means to grow spiritually. That's what it means to uh, progress in your Christian faith. That sounds very basic, right? Let me tell you a story. This past Tuesday, I went to uh, uh, my gym, uh, Shed Fitness. Um, hadn't been there in a while, I'm going to tell you. Um, I uh, lost a little bit of weight over the sabbatical, not as much as I would like to have lost. Um, but, uh, but Tuesday, I go to Shed, and, um, and it just so happens that it's legs and rear end day at Shed. And so we start the class, and it's me, and there's a, like a guy from uh, Lady Annabellum and his wife, and um, that's how I felt at Shed, man. <laughs> And there's a bunch of women that are all in better shape than me. And so we start this class, and, and uh, the leader lays out what the different circuits are going to be. He says, you know, one station, we're going to do lunges while holding dumbbells. Uh, lunges hurt when you don't hold dumbbells. At another station, we're going to do box jumps. At another station, we're going to go outside with a sandbag on our head, and we're going to run around the parking garage. Uh, at the next station, we're going to row uh, for four minutes as hard and as fast as you can. At the next station, we're going to get on a treadmill and run. So wait a minute, we just ran outside with the sandbag. <laughs> the next station, we're going to stand up onto a box and, and, and do uh, uh, hold dumbbells, and, and basically, it's like lunges again. It was exhausting. Uh, and here's the kicker. You pay money to go do this. It's shed. At one point, the instructor of the class looked over at me and he said, hey, man, uh, are you okay? <laughs> I guess I didn't look too good. And I said, I think so. <laughs> but it wore me out. It was more than I had bargained for on a Tuesday. Um, I couldn't walk for like three days after that. Think about this. The Sermon on the Mount when it comes to Christianity, is kind of like a shed or iron tribe for our spiritual lives. It's one challenge after another. Just when you think it can't get any harder, it does. And anybody who tells you that they love the Sermon on the Mount is probably not telling you the truth because they may not have read the Sermon on the Mount. Um, just like my overweight body out of shape needed that circuit workout on Tuesday, I think that all of our souls need the spiritual workout that comes with reading and studying this passage of Scripture in Matthew's Gospel and wrestling with these words of Jesus, because they are not easy. They are challenging. These words remind us that the bar has been set very high, and we spend every day of our lives trying to achieve that bar, but we fall short. We fall short and we get up again and we try again and we fall short and we get up again and we try again and we keep trying. During my, uh, my break, I thought about a lot of different things. And I'm going to share some of those things with you this morning. But I want you to know that I thought about these things by first looking to see what Jesus had to say about these things. I tried to look at these topics through the lens of Scripture, through the words of Jesus, Basically, anything that we deal with in life, especially the difficult things that we deal with in life, Jesus addresses those in the Gospels. 
The first thing that I've been thinking a lot about is priorities. We all have priorities in life, but it's amazing how often our time and our resources do not align with our priorities. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, then how can its saltiness be restored? Remember, that was back in a time when they didn't have refrigerators, so salt was a preservative. Everybody has to choose for themselves what is most important in life. Everybody has to decide where they're going to invest their time and their energy. Um, while I was away, I got to take off my minister hat for a few weeks, and I got to wear my husband and father hat uh, a lot more. I've become convinced that in American culture, we let our jobs define us. Whether we are a teacher or a lawyer, a real estate person, a musician, a banker, a counselor, our job is often what gives us our primary identity. But that's not who we are. It's a part of who we are, but we wear many other hats as well that are just as important. And being a husband, being a father, being a brother or a sister, being a son or a daughter is just as important as our job, but often we don't give those things the same time and energy that they deserve. Sometimes it's because we don't have anything left at the end of the day. We give our loved ones what's left over if there's anything at all. We all have to identify our priorities and we have to keep the first things first in life. You've all seen that, that exercise before where you take big rocks and you take a bunch of uh, rice grains and if you put, the, if you put the, 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 the rice in first and you try to put the big rocks on top of, in the tube, it doesn't fit. But if you put, the, if you put the, the big rocks in first, then you can pour the rice in and there's room for, for all of it. But you have to have the big rocks in there first. What are your big rocks? What are your priorities? Is it your family? Is it your faith? Is it your health? Is it your friendships? And be careful about the friends that you hang around with because they'll either pull you up or pull you down. They'll either make you a better person or a worse person. Priorities matter and, and we have to be intentional about how we spend our time. The second thing that I have been reflecting upon a lot is the subject of stress and worry. Now, why would you think about that during a sabbatical? Well, because you can think about it a lot. Stress is a part of life, but there are things that we can do to reduce it. Jesus says later on in the sermon, uh, Matthew 6, he says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring troubles of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Now we hear this and we think, all right, Jesus, that sounds great, but you don't have a family to take care of. You don't have bills to pay. You don't have college tuitions to save for. You don't have a wife that buys expensive clothes at Nordstrom's. You don't have a husband that runs up bar tabs at the corner pub when I tell him not to. You don't have insurance premiums to pay. But to all of this, I think Jesus would say, don't worry about your life. What does worry actually accomplish? It just stresses you out and it doesn't change anything. One of the things that jumped out at me during my time off 
is how so many of us live in a complete pressure cooker. We pack every day with activities. We consciously overcommit. We sign our kids up for three sports at a time. We leverage ourselves to where we are not living within our means. We go into debt. We don't get enough sleep. We don't exercise regularly. We eat poorly. And then we wonder why we're so stressed out all the time. Jonathan Haidt teaches at NYU, and he likes to say this. He says, if I told you about a daily pill that you could take that would lower your stress, that would lower your anxiety, that would make you less irritable, that would help you not feel overwhelmed, and if I told you that that pill was free and that it had no side effects, would you take it? And everybody says, yes, of course I would take it. Give me that pill. He says, well, that pill is meditation. In Christianity, we call it prayer. Take time every day, 10 minutes at least, to block out all the other stuff in your life and just be, just breathe, just pray. This will help reduce your stress. But we don't do it like we should. Third, I've been thinking a lot about relationships and how the quality of our relationships largely dictate our happiness in life. I mean, think about this. The person that you marry, if you get married, will either be your greatest source of meaning and happiness or your greatest source of pain and heartache. It's a big decision. So when we're thinking about getting married, we need to look at the big picture. Make sure it's somebody who shares your values and who you can grow old with. Make sure it's somebody who's not a narcissist and who only thinks about themselves all the time. Make sure it's somebody who's willing to stand by you during the difficult times of life and not just during the good times. I mentioned that we went up to Virginia to the Homestead, which is an old hotel in Hot Springs, Virginia, to celebrate uh, Megan's parents' 50th wedding anniversary. And it was so nice to see a couple who got married right after college who's still together, still in love, and who have allowed their relationship to grow over the years. And they would tell you, they've told us, it hasn't always been easy. It hasn't always been fun. It hasn't always been convenient. But they've weathered the storms of life together, and their love has grown and deepened over the years. And so we see that, and we think to ourselves, you know, I want that. But that takes a lot of work, and that takes a a lot of sacrifice. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Do we show mercy and do we make peace in our most important relationships? We often think about mercy relating to perfect strangers, but what about showing mercy to the people that we love the most? Life's not easy for anybody. God gives us grace and we need to give each other mercy. Fourth, During the sabbatical, I've been thinking a lot about forgiveness. You've heard me preach over the years, and you know that I I talk a lot about forgiveness because I think that so much of the gospel points back to the subject of forgiveness. Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, don't resist an evildoer. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. 
He says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Because as human beings, we do so many things to hurt each other, either intentionally and oftentimes unintentionally. So forgiveness is absolutely necessary. Forgiveness is essential. Forgiveness is a recipe for survival in life. You can't expect to be forgiven in life if you're not willing to go and show forgiveness to other people. It works both ways. Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's a good way to approach every single day of life as a mission statement. Lastly this morning, I spent quite a bit of time because I knew I was going to be preaching on this uh, this series this fall, I've spent a lot of time talking about the concept or thinking about the concept of the kingdom of God. If I asked you the question this morning, what is the kingdom of God, what would you say? Ushering in the kingdom of God is what Jesus came to do. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer every week, we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we cannot and should not describe the kingdom of God just simply as heaven. That's a part of the kingdom of God, but we're being called to bring the kingdom of God to earth. Jesus describes the kingdom in the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who live without a need for their own righteousness. Those who are willing to acknowledge that they don't have it all together when it comes to their spiritual lives. In Luke's gospel, it says, blessed are the poor. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The humble, those who don't believe that the world revolves around them. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who can see the problems and pain in the world. Those who have little or, or nothing. And then we work to help them get basic necessities. Jesus cared about the poor. He calls us to care about the poor. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Motives matter. Intentions matter. One of the things that will become clear as we study uh, this passage is that Jesus is much more interested in matters of the head and the heart than just simply matters of the law. Our thoughts proceed or precede our actions. So he doesn't just focus on murder, he focuses on anger. He doesn't just focus on adultery, he focuses on lust. Jesus takes it a step back. And he says, look into your own heart and see where your, where your heart and where your thoughts are going. And then largely, most of the time, that will tell you where your actions are headed. In the book that I, that I mentioned uh, by uh, the priest Richard Rohr, he says this about the kingdom. He says, the kingdom is the experience of the love of God, the ultimate and real truth. In its light, everything else is relative, even your own life. He says, I hope you've met at least one kingdom person in your life. They are surrendered people. You sense that life is okay at their core. They have given control to another and they are at peace. A kingdom person lives for what matters, for life in its deepest sense. Jesus called that life abundant, life in its fullness. And if we are to follow Jesus, if we are to take his word seriously, then 
He is calling us to be kingdom people. Jesus is offering a healthy prescription for a world that is largely based on power and money and greed and selfishness and fear and control and shallowness and superficiality. And some will decide to seek it, others will not. But we will all admit that seeking this kingdom is not easy, but it's worth it. It's what it means to be a Christian and to spread God's love into a hurting world. So join me as we begin this journey. Read these verses on your own, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We don't give a lot of homework assignments here, but read these in your devotional time and let's reflect upon it and let's learn from it and let's grow together. Amen.